I'm Jack Kane, and this is Over the Phone. The following episode contains a discussion between Dominic Garcia and I. Dominic is a philosopher, a rising polymath, and a frequent guest on Over the Phone. We discuss basic questions regarding the ideas behind knowledge and understanding. We'll get into that right after the break. So we have some very interesting stuff here, so let's get right into it. So Dom, here's what I wanted to ask you. Does knowledge and understanding make a person more content? You know, thinking thinking about the question um, and then applying it to myself as like my anecdotal experience has been that as I learn more, I realize in a sense how insignificant I am on a grand scale. And Albert Einstein says something like, in calculating um, and this is just paraphrase, it's not verbatim. In, in calculating the vastness of the universe, right, in a sense, realize I am nothing, that everything, you know, your clothes seem trivial. And thinking, thinking about it, it's that, okay, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And this is a Dunning Kruger where you would like start out here, you would learn something about a subject, and you would get to this high point thinking, oh, I know a lot about the subject at hand, only to realize, oh, crap, I don't know anything. You end up, you know, going down the curve and then you, you, you know, as you continue, you really, you know, you're humbled by the experience and then you start rising again, you know, and then, but you, it's sort of like that initial like hill um, that most people get stuck at and they think, oh, I, I can know more. Maybe I can get outside of sort of the limits of not knowing, um, but does it make a person, does knowledge and understanding make a person more content? you know, with all that laid out, I think, no, I don't think it, I think it doesn't make person, a person more content in a sense that they have less problems to deal with. I think more knowledge and understanding merely means your horizons have expanded. So there's more stuff that you don't know, right? It's like you start out as a little circle and then you expand that circle, right? Well, there's still everything on the outside of that circle. It's like the perimeter of the circle is now just a lot bigger. And then that means more territory that you can see that you don't know about. So no, I don't think it makes a person necessarily more content. I definitely agree with the the circle metaphor. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking about. I was going to say in my uh, rebuttal, actually. Like, so you got me, you, you like, you were like, yeah, but uh, <laughs> um, well, I think I look at this at more of, at, an, in, an, at an individual's perspective instead of an mm -hmm. overall kind of thing. I look at, you know, I think about, well, for me personally, I think that the more that I've learned, especially about the universe and like in astronomy, the more I've actually come to the, like, I know more about it and that makes me content. But at the other hand of it, you know, there's so much we don't know. And there's also so much that we do know and that we, at least we think we know, especially about um, the expansion of the universe and eventually uh, matter and everything will just dissipate and nothing will be left. And that makes me very like, in, I don't know, not content, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I think like, when you, when that circle expands, I guess I can make the, the metaphor of the sphere. When the sphere expands, it ex expands into darkness, but it also creates light, you know? So there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a back and forth between you'll learn more and you'll, you'll come to appreciate it, but there's also, you know more and it, and that's dangerous internally. You know, it's dangerous in the fact that you know that and you know it, you know, and there's others around you that don't know it. And it's um, it's just kind of scary that the things that the avenues you could go down with knowledge. So mm -hmm. 
Uh, do you have yeah. any other things you could add about that? You bring a good point. And towards the end where you were like, other people don't know, but you know, and it's like, you have to sort of deal, you have to learn how to cope with that. And that, in a sense, that doesn't make you that content because it's like, I know more than you and you might not be ready for this information. And, you know, there've been plenty of personal experiences where I share with someone an idea that they were not ready for. And I mean, it was, it's, you know, you, you know, when you do that and it's like, oh crap. Okay. You know, I've read, I've read something from these books and these are profound ideas. You're just not ready to handle them yet because maybe, you know, you don't want to know it or maybe so, you know, that, you know, my anecdotal experience has definitely said that it doesn't make me more content on a certain level, but you could also say on a different level, I'm fine with not knowing. In fact, that is the source of my knowledge is not knowing, right? Socrates said, I know, I know nothing is the source of my knowledge. And so it's like, you know, it depends on how you set yourself up as well, um, you know, and it's like, with the, are you fine with, you know, having greater horizons and realizing that you, how little you truly know in learning? Um, but I think that can be your superpower in a sense is, you know, if you're infinitely ignorant, can't you infinitely learn? Um, and no one, not many people are comfortable with that idea because it's like, you have to first admit to how little you are and how little you are in terms of knowing things, but that opens you up to, in, in a sense, an infinite expansion of who you are and you know what you know so it just depends on how you look at it this is definitely a perspective thing but my experience has definitely been that you sort of got to be a little bit more self-aware as you learn more things because maybe some people aren't ready for it um but you know and there's no discredit to them it's just you know you have to make your best judgment and sometimes your best judgment might be a little limited and i think there's also a flip side to that where you could you uh, picture it like this you travel back in time and you show a caveman a smartphone. The caveman doesn't care. It doesn't, he doesn't know what it is. But and that's but if you look at it from the bubble expanding the sphere, expanding in the knowledge, you're the caveman pretty much. I mean, there's always going to be another step. There's always going to be something else. And you can never know anything, you know, and that and so I mean, that's I think that's very humbling. And I think that's also very very you know it's a very positive thing and it's also a very negative thing you know it's a very it just it depends on an individual's perspective so mm -hmm. so my next question is this kind of gets very negative so um does evil come from within man that's a that's a loaded question so yeah and i mean you know our times very recently has become very just heated with all the crazy stuff going on in the world so this is a great question to ask and we first have to define evil and I like Jordan Peterson's definition of evil, which is evil is defined by its lack of necessity and its voluntarism. Okay. So it's definitely a voluntary action in terms of humans, right? Because anything natural isn't evil. It is tragic, right? So that means earthquakes aren't evil. They're tragic, right? They're still, you know, negative and they negatively impact us. But evil is definitely a voluntary action, right? Because life's full of, you know, constant suffering, but that doesn't make life evil, does it? No, no. But you know, we have to learn how to deal with the tragedy. And let's say some guy, some person, not necessarily a guy, comes up and makes the situation worse voluntarily. That's evil. It, it makes, you know, just tolerable tragedy into something horrific, right? And so, you know, with the definition of idea in mind that it's voluntarism, voluntary, it depends then on how you see humans and how they work. And Carl Jung, the great psychologist said, you know, a, a lot of the problems in this world stem from the fact that man is helplessly unconscious. 
And I think if we willfully choose to remain unconscious about our actions, that is how a lot of the world's evils can come about, is someone making someone else's life voluntarily worse by, not, by choosing not to be self-aware of their own actions. Sometimes they don't know, but in a sense, they're still enacting an evil if they've had opportunities to sort of break free from that uh, not knowing um, scenario, right? And so I, my, I, I would say it kind of comes from within the person and the individual and it can be alleviated by becoming more self-aware of yourself so that you're not generating more problems and you're solving the ones that we have to deal with that are tragic, right? So it's just, you know, get rid of the, you know, involuntary suffering that we have to face in everyday life and then preventing yourself from making voluntary suffering. So yeah, totally evil, you know, comes from within the individual person because how can an earthquake be evil, right? It can cause crazy amounts of damage, but at the end of the day, it's not a person. It's not a thing. It's an event that happens, you know, and no event that happens without a person is or can be evil with that definition. Yeah. When I look at this question, I tussle with um, the creation of people. I think about that and I think about are people born evil or are there just constant external actions that create that create that become that they become evil because of those external forces and i also think you know evil is rare and like you said the tragedies are more common because people don't realize what they're doing until it may be too late or they don't even realize at all and you know there's also things like it's like the snowball falling down the mountain you know you might start just a little bit and but you have no idea what you started but at the end of the day it's going to get a lot worse you know so um, and you don't even know, you don't even know you made it worse. And so I feel like, I feel like I really can't answer that question because I just don't know, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's just so deep and it's so, there's just so many levels to it, but I do think at the end of the day, um, just on average, I think that evil does come from within, uh, it's pure evil, not just, you know, tragedy or, oh, I didn't think about it and this happened, but like pure mm-hmm. evil, it really does because you've changed or maybe you've been brainwashed, then that's a tragedy. But if you, if you have, um, if you have become this yourself, you've entered into it, you've in immersed yourself in it, you know, that's from within. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to say something um, as well, because you made a good point that um, you have to voluntarily accepted pure to be pure evil in a sense. Right. And kind of the thing is, is that if you look at you know people from history that have done some horrible things, they have justified it in their own selves, in their own minds. And to them, they think of what they're doing is good or even noble. Not, not saying that it actually is because it isn't, right? But they've you know justified it to themselves most of the time willingly, but sometimes it can be you know unconscious and unwillingly, right? You know, via brainwashing, via um, just not having the knowledge to know what you're doing is wrong or, you know, not having the right influences. But I would definitely say that you would have to be, to be aware of the mind because it's like, yeah, pure evil can come about if you don't know or if you're unaware. And then, I mean, that's, you know, Carl Jung was like, we need more psychological understanding in our world because a lot of the evil that's going to come in the next, you know, centuries is going to become from, is going to come from the lack of understanding of ourselves. 
ultimately, which is a scary thing to meditate on is that, oh, if I don't understand myself, I can produce great evils in the world and not even know it. And that's a hard fact to bear. But if you can learn from that and be like, okay, now I have to build myself to where if I'm in a situation where I could be evil, I'm, I'm, I'm by default incapable of being evil because I've disciplined myself, because I've trained myself in so many levels to be a better person. And I think that's the direction we need to take in is sort of to voluntarily accept the responsibility of that and then to try and become something better. When I think about discipline, I think about actually the our form of government here in the United States. I think about the way we have checks and balances, you know, the judicial branch checks is this and this, and they have different powers that, you know, they push on each other and to make sure one doesn't get enough power. And I think about that, but like internally, how can I create a system where I can look at myself and say, nope, stop doing that. Don't do that. You know, because there's always going to be time when you, you, when you slip up. And I think that that also kind of pertains to the question, like, um, like you were saying with like histories, you know, uh, worse, like, you know, maybe not Nero. I was thinking of Macbeth from the play Macbeth. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've, you've ever read that, but um, yeah. uh, I was thinking of that, like he, the, you know, the character in the story, he falls apart because he lets himself, you know, I mean, he sees, he's, well, you don't really know. You, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't contain that in the text, but um, I feel like he kind of becomes it because he's not checking himself. You know, he's just letting his ego go awry. And it's also kind of like Plato's, uh, three parts of the soul, you know, like intellect, appetite, and um, spirit, they have to be all, you know, all balanced, all checked. And that, I mean, that doesn't make a perfect person, but it makes a, uh, you know, a pretty good person. So, um, so my next question is, um, after this kind of negative topic, so what makes something meaningful? Ah, this is the question that our society is in desperate need of finding out a legitimate answer to, because as we've modernized ourselves, um, certain concepts become harder to think about, right? And, you know, meaning as a whole, I believe relates to the individual experience of a person being in the right place at the right time. That is the description for paradise in a sense is that, if you can be in the right place at the right time or everything lines up, you're at the border between what is associated with an orderly environment and a chaotic environment. And if you can be on that sort of line between the two, you can enter in a state of paradise where everything's in the right place at the right time, where things are different enough to keep changing, but things are also stable enough to not devolve into just chaos. Um, and that place is sort of like the root of all meaningful experience. I mean, you look at, in one context, religious experiences, which is always described as that, uh, as the Greeks called it, the kairos, meaning God's time or the right place, the right time, the best time, right? So that paradisical uh, uh, religious experience that really is, I mean, shared with everyone all the time, right? I mean, you look at music. Music is the perfect uh this depiction of the Kairos in our lives every day. You find a good song. You find that song that you can listen to for five hours on repeat. We all have had that experience. I hope Um, it's, it's playing the right music at the right time. You know, you don't, it's not burned into your head where you know the music super well and you know, it's, you know, and you're bored of it. You don't know it just enough to sort of hit the right uh, feelings or the right tunes, the right tones in your head in a sense. And so like we all share a, a relationship with music, right? Or I mean, even good paintings as well, is that all the paintings are just put together in the right way to ha- make you feel something. 
And I mean, Alan Watts said it best with paintings is that the artist shows you the future long before anyone sees it, which is like a, de a depiction of the Kairos is like the paintings show you something that is the potential future, that place that we all want to get to, right? Religions call it that paradisical feeling that you want to bring about. And so again, what makes something meaningful? I mean, it's the Kairos that we have to like find and discover in our own lives, right? And I mean, as we you know modernize ourselves, it's harder to connect to that. We sort of lose this idea of beauty, of aesthetics, of of being in the right place at the right time. We lose what it means to do those things that are meaningful. And the thing is, it's like people people get um, people. Our society is obsessed with happiness, right? Pursue happiness. Do what makes you happy. And the problem is that society has poorly constructed the definition of happiness is that society's definition of happiness isn't going to make you happy. It's instead going to leave you chasing a carrot on the stick. And the reason why that is because it doesn't have a proper relationship with meaning. Because if you pursue something that's meaningful over pursuing something that makes you feel happy, right? Because happiness is just a feeling and it comes into existence as much as it leaves existence. If you can pursue that thing that's meaningful, then you have the ability to, in a sense, discover the meaning, discover what makes something meaningful by having that experience of the Kairos, by you know dedicating yourselves, by sacrificing the present for the potential meaningful future that could be that paradise that you get to. But it, it's hard to get there, right? It's not easy. But once you get there, you want to get more of it. You know, it's like, oh, that that made me something beyond just being happy. That was transcendently meaningful. And so in part, meaningfulness, what makes something meaningful is the individual experience as well as finding the Kairos, finding the paradise, finding the right place at the right time. Yeah, when I try to come to understanding what is what is meaningfulness, what it, why is this meaningful? You know, I think I see it in more of an individual kind of perspective and a human human centric. I don't even know if that's a word. Human centric, um, like a rock in space. You know, it's not meaningful because there's nothing that like there's no creatures that understand what meaning is in the first place. You know, humans have to exist for something to have meaning, right? So, like, I feel like human uh, meaning is very, you know, it's very subjective. It's very, um, you know, and we also, it's kind of associates with, you know, do I like this? Do I like that? You know, and I think of art, like you were saying, like, um, person A might like Picasso's um, Starry Night, like right back there, but person B might think it looks terrible, you know? And I feel like that that could be some level of meaning. And then there's also another meaning behind Picasso. It's, it's a very renowned painting, very important to art history. And that also gives it meaning in a completely different sense, you know? So I think I think meaning is, uh, it's very subjective and it's very, it depends on how you look at it. That's really the whole point, you know? And, um, and there's also some things that kind of like in symbolism, like in lit literature, and it's a foreshadowing and it's telling you something, but you have no idea what the heck it means. So like, until you get there and you look back, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like that pretty much. So that's pretty much all I've got about meaning. So you have any? Uh... So I wanted to add on um, that you could even say that nothing has meaning and only words have meaning, which I love it when someone brings this up and knows about that idea because if you think about the nature of words, and I've read about this in Jordan Peterson's book, Beyond Order, in the first chapter, um, and it was talking about how, I think it was one of his relatives, can't remember off the top of my head, 
and it was like a it was like a it was like a child a child essentially discovered what it means to point at something right and what it means to point at something is to distinguish it between the infinite background the infinite universe that lies around it is that you're able to point it out right and in a sense that's what words do is that they point out something out of the infinite everything right and if you think about the nature of words even it's like okay this this object over here is a book right okay okay that word book is different than anything that isn't a book okay so everything has meaning in terms of what is other alan watts said in a sense that you love yourself in terms of what is other um in a sense is that you know what makes you you what makes you you and not everything else everything else makes you you right because everything else is outside of you while you aren't and so it's like if you can distinguish yourself against the infinite background that's what language does then in a sense, you're given a sense of meaning through the words, through distinguishment of something, which I mean, that profound idea kind of left me sort of like, okay, well, then you need the entire infinite universe behind you in order to have that one thing that isn't everything else, in a sense, to be able to distinguish. And so you could make the case that words are the only thing that has meaning. Well, speaking of meaning, right? Um, this is going to get dark really quick. Um, uh, should we fear death? That's the next question. So I'll let you take away. My goodness. If you look at our modern culture, let's set some context up. You look at our culture, and especially in America, we have this obsession about being young or being youthful. You might see this in many different contexts, whether it be in movies and our forms of literature. We always shy away from the inevitable reality that meets us all in our lives. Um, but we have to understand first, in a sense, if you think about what change is, right, the nature of change itself, um, it requires the old to be broken down and to be reshaped into something new. And so if you are not willing to die, you cannot be reborn. If you are not willing to accept death as a part of life, then you cannot live life, right? Because understanding death, in a sense, and not necessarily fearing it, because why would you fear something that is will happen to you. And I mean, the, the Stoic philosopher Seneca said this brilliantly, is that is your life you're living right now really any different than you being dead? Really think about it. Really think about it. And a lot of people will say, actually, no. The reason why is because maybe they live lives that are too dull for them. You know, you think about older, older populations that are stuck in a, you know, routine setting, a nine to five job as the stereotype kind of goes. Um, those people aren't living their lives. And in a sense, that's why they fear death is that they're not doing anything meaningful. And so we shouldn't fear death. And you will naturally be less likely to fear death if you're pursuing something that's meaningful, right? I mean, religious experiences sort of facilitate that in a sense is that you're, you're giving your life to something that's greater than you and will in a sense outlive you. But because of your contradiction, uh, not contra contribution to that greater thing, you in a sense can live on, right? That's sort of the idea that almost every religion sort of presents itself to you. And I mean, that's the idea of change is that if you're not willing to die, you cannot be reborn, you know, because Plato's theory of synthesis is kind of like, okay, you have your initial existence, then you have the antithesis, which is sort of like you dying to your old understanding. But then once you get out of that, you've been, you've achieved the end point, right, where it's like, oh, you've been, you've achieved synthesis, you become something different by dying to what you once were. And I mean, if you think about pursuing something meaningful, as we were talking about a second ago, is that you're in a sense sacrificing everything that you are for everything that you could be, which is a very risky thing. But 
in order to get to that greater kairos that we were always trying to look for, we in a sense have to risk dying, right? So we can't fear it if we have to risk it to truly live. So we should not fear death in any way because the reality is you die every day that you live, but you live every day that you die. When I, when I think of this, I, th I think, well, I have kind of two perspectives on this, but they, they, they intervene, they uh, collide pretty much. I have a Christian perspective, you know, being a Catholic, and also I have a very secular perspective that could kind of apply to someone who's kind of, who's atheist or someone who is, um, I look at death as a gift pretty much. I see death, now that's, that's going to, that's a very controversial statement right there, but I see death as a gift because um, not that I'm like saying go out and murder people, you know, that's, that's obviously not morally right, but like. No one, no one wants that. Yeah. yeah. But um, I see death as a gift because actually I got, I got this from a Vsauce video. So, I mean, that's kind of how I started. That's another story for another day, but mm -hmm. I see it as a gift because what if you couldn't die? Let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at it from, let's say you can't die. I mean, what are you really going to do then? I mean, after a while, are you really going to try to do anything? You're going to lose motivation because there is no end date, you know? That, that end date gives you something not to look forward to, but it gives you a conclusion. And it also, you know, gives you a time limit, you know? So you, you got you to gotta go to school and you got to do your job or you want to do something you, you pursue and you want to do. And, um, and, but, you know, that's why, I, that's why I see it as a gift pretty much because without death, you don't have life. It's like without, without sadness, do you really have happiness? And that's a totally different question, but I mean, but it's pretty similar too, you know? So um, that's why I kind of value death which a lot of people wouldn't, they'd say, oh, no, it's sad. No, it doesn't bother me at all. Although I do think about it in a very negative way, but, you know, so. I want to add on to that because that's that's pretty well said. I agree with you is that it's like with words, is that it is, death distinguishes everything that isn't death, right? It's like you have a, you know, and I have another theory that presents that no one can necessarily die in a certain context, but that'll be for later, is that, if you just you know look at death itself though it everything that isn't death is life right kind of we can we can definitely say that we don't know for sure but it helps distinguish again it gives life meaning is that you you in a sense can't live forever so you have to find something to sort of live longer than you at least right and most people kind of do that through their children if you think about it um our genetics right is that you know you know a lot of ancient religions definitely were believing in like your ancestors which i thought was an interesting concept because if you look at it from a genetic standpoint all your ancestors live on through you now i'm not saying make a religion out of this right but those religions were kind of onto something is that you're not necessarily dead if you you know generate offspring in a sense because it's like oh your genetics live on through them and if you you know meditate on your on that thought you then can look back in time and it's like oh my goodness everyone before me is in a sense connected to who I am now. And it's like, goodness, it's, it's just such a grand thing is that literally everyone that came before you is in a sense dependent on you to live on. And I mean, Albert Einstein, or was his son that said that we live on through our children. And I mean, that's, you know, most people live through that cycle. Now you could say in a sense for other people who don't die, I mean, who don't have children like Nikola Tesla, who never had any children and died alone. 
he lives on through his achievements, which is sort of another form to sort of get past death is that he created, you know, the, the world that we live in, in the context of electricity. And so it's like, we live on through our creation, right? Which I mean, if you think about this from a Christian perspective, it's like, oh my goodness, God, in a sense, not as doesn't necessarily live on through the creation, but he's so connected to the creation element is that, okay. In a sense, it's kind of like in the Christian context where we're being more like God when we create and is that we live on to our creations. And so that's just, an, you know, it's a very important thing that we need to meditate on as we move forward as people, because it's like, it has a very important role to play in our lives. And it's like, if you're doing something meaningful, there's no reason to fear it. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I've actually come to, uh, this is, it's, this is going to get really Protestant-y sounding, but predestination, I'm going to say that word. So um, I, I kind of studied geology uh, a little bit, um, and I've actually noticed trends. I've noticed some trends between me and my ancestors, even though they were completely different people. So mm. that, um, that, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about, um, you were talking about living on through your ancestors, you know, I mean, you can see trends and, and, um, you know, the way, actually the way they lived their lives and the decisions they made. And I was like, you know, that's kind of interesting. And, um, so I, I definitely agree with, um, what you're saying about, you know, you live on through your children, but you also live on through your achievements too. You know, it just depends on how you look at it and, or how it kind of ends out, you know? So, um, so our last question, here we are, we made it to the end. So can anyone really know everything? Oh man, that's loaded. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe something better to think about is should everyone, anyone know everything? Should any person, if they could, know everything? And if you really think about the nature of that question, it's like, hmm. Plato said something to the sorts of this is that there's no greater, I think it was either pleasure or experience. I don't remember the exact phrasing of it to know everything. Huh? Does he really mean that? Because again, he was a brilliant philosopher from of his time and he knew a lot of things that most people didn't. And if you really think about like knowing everything, what does that mean? You think of omniscient. I think that's the right word is where, you're all-knowing. And if a person is all-knowing, it's literally akin to being God in a sense because it's like, hmm, there's no limit to your intellect, kind of. The problem is if you're all-knowing, if you think about it this way, right, God is beyond being. And so if you're beyond being, you are not being, right? God, beyond being doesn't mean you're not alive, it, it simply means you cannot exist in a being form, right? It is that if you have no limits, there's no story. There's nothing to develop. There's nothing to grow in a sense, right? And it's like going back to the infinite expanse with sort of the metaphor of the circle. It's like you have us at the center of the universe that we can observe, right? In terms of um, astrophysics. Okay. Then you have the edges of that universe, right? We can, in a sense, continuously explore the unexplored universe. But what happens if we, for whatever reason, was able to know everything in the universe? What would that do to us? We'd stop exploring. And so, in a sense, I don't think we should know everything, but I think it's, in a sense, possible to do so. But if we do so, that is, it is also impossible because that means then we don't have anything to do. There's nothing to do because we know everything. 
is that we become something else that isn't us if we know everything. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to know everything because that drives and leads us to learning. And that learning can lead us to exploring new things that could be way better than, than you know, the life you live right now. But I don't think we should know everything and I don't think we can know everything. So, Yeah, I think this is a really interesting um, kind of theoretical concept that uh, the question poses, you know, it's, um, but I think it's just, I agree with you pretty much about what you said. I feel like, um, I feel like it's just, uh, no one, I don't, I really don't think it's possible to know everything. I, re- I mean, uh, from a human, uh, from a human perspective, I think it's impossible, obviously, because even if you do know everything, how are you sure, you know, how are you sure to know, um, how can you be sure of that, you know, and you never can, and I don't think any, any being will ever be able to say, oh, I know everything, because, you know, what is knowing everything anyway, you know, um, what is knowledge, and so I want to kind of end it off here, Um, so do you have any final thoughts before we get moving? Um, thank you for having me on the podcast again. I really appreciated the, uh, you know, the conversations that we had because these are all uh, topics that I think we could definitely think more about, expand our knowledge uh, upon them because they all have an important relation to us, how we live our lives, and I mean the greater society that we're in, with sort of the explosion of information. And some say that because of the explosion of information that we're having with the internet, there's less and less meaning. But that could be for another day. But all these, you know, topics do definitely fit in that category. And I think, you know, if we just keep exploring, I think that's the best thing we can do because I mean, exploring new things is always fun, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I want to thank everybody for listening. If you guys have any questions or comments, you can email me at jac.cain at icloud.com and we'll be sure to answer them. We love questions. So um, I'm going to say goodbye to you guys and talk to you guys later.